0: Cross Church. I'd like us to take a moment right now to pray for Rhonda. Uh, she just uh, texted me to say that uh, she was at the hospital because of some excruciating pain in her legs. So let's just take a moment to pray for one of our family members. Father, we thank you for Rhonda's life, and we thank you, God, that uh, she's part of our family. And the clear teaching in the scripture is that when one part of the family hurts, the rest hurts. And so we want to especially lift her up to you right now and ask God that you'd be near to her. Just give her peace in her heart. And we pray that she would find relief from that pain and that the doctors would have wisdom to know what the problem is. And uh, I want to just lift up Louise Cooney to you as well, Father, praying that you'd be near to her. Uh, Again, just guide the doctors and help her. We thank you for the family of God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to say that um, I'm really looking forward to the next few weeks when we talk about the family. And uh, just, just so that everybody is engaged, let me just say this, is that really there are two categories of family. There's your blood family, the people that you call your brothers and sisters, your mother, your aunt, your uncle, etc. And there's what we call the family of God. And what, what you need to know is that the family of God is a place for you to find uh, a special help, special, special love, special care, a special connection that you might not experience or know in your blood family. But I, I will would, would say this. Uh, God has given us the family of God because so much of what we experience in our personal families is very dysfunctional. And so what we want to do is we want to help you have not only a great church family, but we want to help you also have a great personal blood family. And this is uh, why we've called this series, Putting the Fun Back in, in Functional, because the problem is, with so many families, is that they are very dysfunctional. And even more than that, a lot of people don't realize or don't know that their families are, in fact, dysfunctional. So we want to talk today about God's special plan for the family, God's ideal for the family. And I want to begin by saying this. Jesus said that, I, that he came, that he, we may have life and have it more abundantly. Remember that uh, Jesus looked around and he saw people uh, really having a tough life, having a miserable life. And his words, his description of people in his day is that these people are like harassed sheep. Now, what you and I need to understand is that the sheep are always safest and happiest when they're in the fold or with the flock. We call this family. We've, you've heard of a lone, the lone wolf, but you've never heard of a lone sheep. It's, it's absurd. And I could ask you, what do you call a stray sheep? And the answer to that would be dead. Dead. And the same thing goes for you and me. You and I need family. You and I need the connection. It's the way God created us. Family is, in fact, God's idea. We see it right at the very beginning of our Bibles, in in, in the very first chapters. We find that that God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. So what does he do? He creates Eve. And God, God gives Adam and Eve to each other to love each other, to support each other and to meet the basic emotional and social needs that every human being has. When I see somebody who says, I'm a loner, I see somebody who's saying, I've got deep, hidden wounds and hurts, because it's not normal. Normal is finding your place comfortably within the family. The one who wants to be a hermit, the one who wants to to be alone, to get away from everybody. Is usually got some sort of disorder, something that's not right. So what you and I need to know is what does it mean to be a functional family? What does it mean to be normal? The best way to begin the discussion is, again, to recognize the, the teaching of Scripture. What does the Bible say about what our lives need to look like? And again, before God has created a church, before there's any religion, before there's any of the spiritual aspects of church that you and I are used to, the very first thing we recognize is that God establishes a family. He establishes the first family unit, Adam and Eve. And then to them, he says what? Go and establish a church. No, he didn't say that. Go and take communion. Didn't say that. Go get baptized. He didn't say that. He says, go and multiply. Go forth and multiply. Multiply. So, you need to understand today that the family is is absolutely critical to god 's eternal plan now we haven 't got time today to get into god 's eternal plan, but let me just say this: the, in order for you to be truly happy, you need to learn what it means to connect to your family, both your blood family. Your children, your mother, your father, your aunts and uncles, and also to your church family. You show me somebody who says, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I'm going to show you somebody who, A, doesn't know their Bible, and secondly, has got something wrong with them. Now you say, wow, pastor, that's pretty pretty raw. It's pretty rough. But the fact of the matter is, is that you need to be in church. You need to be with your family. And you need to learn how to relate to your family. You need to learn how to have a good family life so here 's what the family is it 's very simply it 's an antidote against the loneliness and against the dysfunction that each and every one of us not, not not some of us but each and every one of us are are prone to so this is This is what happens. We tend to go strange. How many know that today? Let that person beside you They, they look a little bit. On the odd side, maybe maybe not, I don't know. But here's what you need to know, is that God wants you to be normal. He wants that person beside you to be normal. And the way that he does that is by placing you in the family. By helping you live according to the principles of a healthy family. Now, it's interesting, when you uh, read the Bible in different versions, understand, first of all, the Bible was written uh, in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. Um, when the translators translate it, they translate it in a way that best, best describes or best explains what the author's intention was. So when you read the King James Version, you will find uh, 76, uh, that the, the word family is used 76 times. When you read the New Living Translation, it uses the word family 426 times. You can say, well, does that mean there's a discrepancy in the scripture? No, but here's the thing. There's different ways to describe family. We talk about the house of Duncalf, but nobody talks like that, right? You wouldn't say the, the house of Alan Duncalf. You'd say the family of Alan Duncalf. Now, here's the thing. The New Living Translation really understands the mind of God in, in, in communicating truth and communicating the teachings of Scripture. The best way to describe God's plan and what God wants to do in your life and my life is in the context or in terms of family, so you need to understand today that, that you know, you, you may have a dysfunctional family. You may have written your family off. And you may have said, you know, I can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to get on with my life. But here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to work on it. He wants you to do whatever you can to have a good, strong, and healthy family. Now, I want to share a scripture verse with you. And it comes from n- none other than Solomon the Wise. And here's what, uh, here's what Solomon says. Ready? Let's read that together. Exploit or abuse your family, and you end up with a fistful of air. Common sense tells you it's a stupid way to live. Now, let's just take a moment and and break that down. What what does the word exploit mean? It means very simply to, to manipulate or to take advantage of. Now, some of you here today would say, yeah, that best explains my family. My family manipulates me, they try to take advantage of me, they use me. And then what about the word abuse? Well, I think most of us are familiar with what that word means, but let's just, let's just state it. It means to hurt or to insult each other. And so Solomon says, you're really pretty stupid if in, the, if in the context of your family you're exploiting each other and abusing each other. If you're taking advantage of each other, if you're manipulating each other, if you're putting each other down, if you're insulting one another, here's what you're going to get out of your family. You're going to get nothing. You're going to get a fist full of air. There, there's nothing there. And for so many people, they do not understand what their family is for. They do not understand that the family is, in fact, God's gift to you. Your family is God's gift to you and to every member in your family. And you could say today, man, Pastor, that is not my family. My family is so dysfunctional, it is such a drain. I dread when Christmas comes along. I dread when Thanksgiving comes along. I dread when Easter comes along because it means I'm going to be faced, or forced to face my family. Okay, so look, at what you and I need to do is we need to find a strategy to help us cope with our family and, and learn how to get it right. And here's the thing, because many of us feel like this. Many of us feel like, man, I, I, you know, I'll cooperate with the family. I'll get along with them if they'll just cooperate with me. So here's what's got to happen. It's got to start with someone. And the question is, who's it going to start with? Well, I'll tell you this, as a Christian, as a believer, as somebody who takes seriously what Jesus says when he says, I've come that you might have an abundant life, that is a rich and satisfying life, it means that you're going to have to be the first one to take the first step. You're going to have to be the one that steps out and says, okay, you know what? If nobody else is going to lead this family in, in functionality, in, in, in health, in normality, then I'm going to be the one that sets the pace. I'm going to be the one that starts starts out leading this family in a way that best... serves one another, best serves me, best serves God. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about how we can get this family thing right. Because your family ought to be a safe place. It should be a place where you feel safe, where you feel secure. It should be the place that you want to go to at the end of the day. Now here's, here's what I know from 30 years of pastoring and 30 years of counseling and 30 years of dealing with people and their problems. I know this, is that for so many people, family and home is the last place they want to go to at the end of the day. Because when they go home, they experience abuse, they experience manipulation, someone's putting this one down, another one's yelling at that one, another one's fighting, this one's fighting. And we wonder why we've got kids that don't want to go home, don't want to hang out at home. We wonder why kids join gangs, we wonder why kids are cutting themselves and struggling with their many, many struggles. We wonder why, why wives cheat on their husbands and why husbands don't want to come home at the end of the day, want to stay at work. I'll tell you, friends, your family unit is God's idea. It's the safe place for you to go and to be to find your emotional and your social needs met. And so what I want to help you with today and over the next several weeks is to help you find a way to to bring your family to a place of, of safety, of warmth, of love, a place where you want to be, people that you want to hang out with. So Solomon says, exploit or abuse your family, And you're going to end up with a fistful of air. You're going to end up with nothing. You're not going to find your needs met at all. Common sense tells you it's a stupid way to live. And you know what? That's how most of us are living. Many of us live very stupid lives. Well, the good news today is that God gives us clear instruction from his word as to how we should live. So, if I ask the average person on the street, um, how would you... How would you describe a, a, a good family? What do you think a good family should look like? What do you think a healthy family, a normal family should look like? And they'll have some kind of a vague idea. They'll say something like this. They'll say, well, it should be loving, uh, it should be a caring place. And then after that, they might say, well, it should be the place where kids have their you know, physical needs met, where they have food to eat and place to sleep. And that's about all they'll be able to say. And they'll not really say it with conviction. They'll say it haltingly. They don't really get it. So here's what you need to know today. Is that the family is not an accident of evolution. It is absolutely God's plan for your life. To be part of a healthy, normal, functional, happy family. Now, it seems almost absurd for me to say that because it sounds kind of Pollyanna in our culture. Now, here's the thing that you need to know. There's at least two enemies of your family. The first thing is your selfishness. The reason your family is dysfunctional is probably because you are selfish and because the rest of the people in the family are selfish. They're only looking out for their own needs. They're looking out for their own rights. They're fighting for their rights. Is that your family? Is that your marriage she 's waiting for him to be loving and to change and to smarten up and he 's waiting for her to stop being so grouchy and she 's waiting for him to, to show up and be a leader in the family and and they are waiting for their kids to be respectful and they 're waiting for their kids to be, uh, to be uh, grateful and the kids are waiting for their parents to be respect worthy. And so now we've got a real problem on our hands because now everybody is looking up for themselves and they don't really care about the other people in the family. They only care about themselves. By the way, that's why a lot of churches struggle is because everybody in that church that's struggling only thinks about themselves. They don't really care about anybody else. In fact, that's the problem with with a lot of relationships and why they don't work is simply because of selfishness. We'll talk about more of that in the weeks to come. But I can tell you this. Your family will not be functional, it will not be happy, you will not have fun until you learn what it means to truly love and respect each other. Do you know that most people are more respectful and kinder and more polite to total strangers than they are to their own family? Most people are more polite and are kinder to the neighbors that they hardly know than they are to their own children or their own spouse. There's something wrong with this picture. Now, I'm not saying, you know, be nice to your kids now and be mean to your neighbors. I'm not saying, you know, switch. What I'm trying to say is let's get a bit of consistency here. The way that you treat your neighbors, maybe it would be a good idea to treat your kids that way with some respect. And maybe it would be good to treat your parents with some respect, with, with some dignity. We'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. But here's the other problem. Ignorance. Most people don't really know what they're supposed to do in the context of their family. They don't really know what the point of the family is. They don't really know how they're supposed to function in that family. They don't really know what a functional family looks like. So I got an email this past week from somebody that was really excited that we're doing a series on the family. And I'm not going to read to you the whole email, but I want to read to you a sentence. Because this person saying, you know what? This is exactly what we need to hear, and uh, we want help. And this is what this person says. It says, neither of us has ever had a healthy relationship, nor much of a role model. I mean, yes, we have Jesus, but I mean, there was no healthy family around us as we grew up. And this person, what they don't know is that this probably is pretty typical for, for most people. They really don't know what a good, healthy family looks like because it was never modeled to them. So they've got selfishness working against them, and secondly, they've got ignorance working against them. So what do people do? How do, what, what is the model? Well, I hate to say it, but in our era, in my day and age, it's the television that has informed most people as to what families should look like. Back in December 17, 1989, there was a new show that came on the air called... The Simpsons has anybody ever heard of the simpsons and this this now became uh, it became a hit immediately and i 'll tell you why it was it was so popular uh, first of all because most people could could identify with the dysfunction of this family and secondly because it is actually quite funny it is it, it, it employs humor in in an amazing way in a very skillful way. The problem is is that the Simpsons represent everything that is contrary to what the Bible says about a family. And I can tell you when I first saw it I was absolutely horrified. I was shocked. Now, you know I know some of you're thinking, "Oh pastor, don't be, you know, such an old prude. Don't be, you know, just calm down. Don't don't get It's just it's just a show. It's just for fun you watch homer who is the epitome of selfishness remember i said that was the number one enemy of the family the epitome of selfishness and then of course that breeds that in all the rest of the family we see it in in bart we see it in lisa we see it even in marge at times who probably is you know the true you know saint to the family we see bart who calls his dad not by his not by the term or title father or dad, but it's but by his by his his first name, Homer. And of course it's hilarious. You know, no no kid ever called his dad by his first name. That's it, it's really quite funny, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny, except that it totally breaks one of the key commandments in the whole scripture, and that is to honor your father and your mother. So that what? So that everything will go well for you in your life. This became a new standard. I know some people say, oh, no, we're not applying that to our lives. But listen to me, listen. Because of our ignorance of what God wants for us in our family, this now becomes a new standard. And whether you like it or not, it influences the way that you live. Now, when I first uh, started watching television... Uh, we, we had shows on TV. Um, I never did see Father Knows Best. I don't even remember that show, Father Knows Best. And then there was, uh, here's the ones I remember, Leave It to Beaver, and My Three Sons, and Little House on the Prairie. Anybody remember those? And it was, it really was model family. It was, it was, you, you watched that family, you got warm feelings after it, and you just think, oh man, you know, this is, this is the way it should be. Mother respects father. Father is honored in the family. The children call their dad, dad, or father. They respect him. And, he, you know, father makes mistakes and he admits it to all his family. And, you know, it's, a, it's the ideal. And, you know, we, I can tell you, how many remember the Waltons? And at the end of every, every Waltons program, how many remember how it ends? That's right. They, and the, you could see the house is cozy in, in the woods, and it's dark now. And there's a light on in the bedroom, and another light in the other bedroom. And it's good night, John Boy. Good night, Mary Allen. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Grandpa. Good night, Grandma. You see the lights go off, and then the nice music plays, and you think to yourself, oh, I wish I lived in that house. Where They actually love each other. They actually care for each other. They actually speak nicely to each other. They actually say goodnight to one another. I call that the age of, of innocence in the era of television. Now, here's the problem: we got we got feeling like you know it it, it it's. There's not enough tension. And of course, if if anybody knows anything about television, movies, plays, or whatever, you've got to build tension. So what do we do? We produce a whole new series of of TV shows, on the family, the family theme, but now we built tremendous tension. We got someone now like Archie Bunker, who calls his son-in-law Meathead, who calls his wife Dingbat, who. Who's, and poor, poor Edith. I mean, do you remember this? She she adores Archie. There's nothing Archie can say or do to make Archie to make Edith hate Archie. But Archie just you're an idiot. You're stupid. And once in a while, you know, she, he'll throw her a bone. You know, you know, be nice to her. Sit on the piano bench and sing with her. And that's about it. This becomes a new standard for the family. And then you get and you know them all. I mean, the Jeffersons. You've got married with children. remember El Bundy? <laughs> selfishness. It's utter and complete selfishness. And you can say, well, we all know that this is not the way it should be, but guess what? It becomes a model that people begin to follow, and I've seen it. Roseanne? Wow. Anybody ever heard of family guy? I mean, I'm shocked I'm shocked that, that Christians would even watch that because the filth and, and the, the subject matter is not only is it not appropriate for children, it's not appropriate for adults and especially not appropriate for Christians. And yet this is what shapes our understanding of what a family is. So we're self-centered and we're ignorant and we're in serious trouble. As, as, a, as a society, as a culture... We are falling apart. And now we've produced programs like the modern family, which is, uh, which does not resemble anything close to God's ideal for what the family should be. Has anybody ever heard of two and a half men? A family. It's, a, it's a, again, a very dysfunctional family unit. The actor who plays the boy says it is so vile and so wicked, he counsels people, don't watch the show. And you may have, some of you may have remembered the recent um, controversy over that. Here's the guy that plays the boy in the show, yet he's telling the, the public, don't watch the show because it's that bad. This, my friends, is what has influenced us. And it's sad to say that this influence, this very worldly influence, has touched the family in such a, a horrendous way. Now, you could say, oh, pastor, you're overreacting. I wish I was overreacting, but the fact of the matter is, and you've got to get this, garbage in, garbage out. The thing that you feed your mind, feed your spirit, feed your heart, it affects you in ways that you know nothing about. And I can sit here now for the rest of the service and just give you scripture verse after scripture verse that will prove that. This is our diet. Self-centered television programs that are so far from God's ideal that we really, really don't know what normal is anymore. You can say, but there's some good things that happen in The Simpsons. In fact, I know of a a, a theologian that wrote a book called The Gospel According to The Simpsons. And he tries to redeem the program by saying that in fact it's a good program because in the end they all try to get along with each other and they all, you know, hug each other, kiss and make up and they try to overcome selfishness. Okay, guess what, friends? There is an element of truth in that. But the problem is is that it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't point us to God's ideal for the family. And here's what God's ideal for the family is. Children, obey your parents. Children, honor your father and your mother. And husbands and wives, serve one another. That does not come out. So here we are, self-centered human beings. Here we are ignorant of what God's standard is or what God's ideal is and we wonder why we're in trouble. I want to I want to share with you what God's ideal for your family is. And I tell you it's quite contrary to anything you're going to see on television and it's very it's it's quite contrary to what the world sees as as what a healthy family is. Can I just remind everybody today that the family is in fact the foundation of a, of a strong and healthy society. What makes our society strong, our culture strong, is that we have a strong family unit or that we understand we need to have a strong family unit. That is now falling apart. And I don't need to get into to the statistics today to tell you what happens when there's not a father in the family or when mother's missing in the family. The socioeconomic conditions drastically change for the family that is, is not put together the way God ordained that it be put together. Now, I'm not putting down families today that, you know, you're, you know, you, you've had a genuine struggle and, you know, things didn't work out. I'm not putting anybody down. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to present to you what God's ideal is for your family. You saw that video clip. I don't know what it did for you, but for me personally, when I saw that clip, man, I just felt like having a good cry. Because here's what you need to know. The family is supposed to be a sanctuary. It's supposed to be a safe place. It's supposed to be the place where your emotional and social needs are met. It's God's design. God made us. He knows what we need. And so we get Solomon saying, exploit or abuse your family, and you'll end up with a fistful of air. You'll end up with nothing. Common sense tells you it's a stupid way to live. So here's what Cross Church and what the Church of Jesus Christ and what the Word of God is all about. It's all about helping you live not a stupid life, but an abundant life. And so here's what, here's what I discovered. Some of you were here for the Good Friday service, and you'll remember that along that wall we had some tables set up and people could write prayer requests or praise reports, and then they'd come and stick it on the cross. Do you know that at least 80%, and maybe more, 80% of the notes that were put on the cross were prayers, were prayer requests for family? Pray for my family. Pray for my, pray for my mother. Pray for my father. Pray, pray for my son. Pray for my daughter. Pray for my auntie, my uncle, my nephew, my auntie, my grandpa, my grandma. Pray for them. Why do you think that is? Because here's 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 what you need to know. At the end of the day, all you've got is your Lord, if He's if He's your Savior, and your family. That's it. It's critical, it's critical that you get your family right and you do it right. So, Pastor, how do we do it? How am I going to how am I going to get this, this family thing right? Well, first of all, let let me tell you this. I'm sorry to say this, but in your Bible, there is not a book that's devoted to how to have a good family. You'd think that God would put that in there, wouldn't you? And there's not a chapter or a book that tells you, here's how to have a great marriage, or here's how to raise your kids. There's no parenting manual, there's no family manual, there's no marriage manual in the Bible. But here's what there is. Are you ready for this? There's a simple law, and when it's carefully, it's a simple law in the Scripture that when it's carefully followed, it will give you a phenomenal family life, a phenomenal marriage. It will give you incredible wisdom and ability. This law is found throughout the books of the Bible. It's not just in a chapter, and it's not just in one book, but you'll find it from beginning to the end. This law can be summed up in three words. And many read this law repeatedly in the scripture, but they miss it. They don't pay any attention to it. They would recognize it if they heard it, but, they, but they're not aware of it. It's a three-word law that when you follow it, it radically transforms your marriage and radically tr- transforms your family. And I'm going to tell you this, if you're serious about following this law, it will, in fact, radically change your life. The question this morning is this, what is that law? Here's a hint. What's the opposite of exploit and abuse? Love. The three-word law that will radically change your life and change your family and change your marriage, if you live by it, is this three-word law, and it's this. Love one another. Can you say that with me? Love one another. We know about it. We've read it. We've heard it. But somewhere along the line, it doesn't get from here to here. And we don't live it, we don't really live it out. We know about it. Intellectually, we agree to it. In fact, we will be the first one to stand up and shout it and proclaim it and tell people that that's what they need to do. But when it comes to actually living it out, well, that's a different story altogether. And I'm going to tell you this, if you will do what God tells us to do, it will radically transform your life. Jesus, in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you will live by this law, you don't need a manual on marriage. You don't need a manual on family life. You don't need a manual on anything. You, if you live this law, love one another, it will radically change all your relationships. If you're lonely, you will no longer be lonely because people will flock to you. If you're feeling that your marriage is falling apart, you can change it like this. Start loving your partner. And I know what you've been thinking. Well, if he'll start being lovable, then I'll start loving him, right? It doesn't work that way. I wish it did. You know, somehow you could just put something in his drink. He would drink it, and all of a sudden become lovable. And then you could love him. You know, wouldn't that just be just so convenient? I mean, I could sell it. I could go on television and be a millionaire. I got a secret potion to make your spouse lovable. I have a secret potion to make your kids lovable. Drink this potion, and man, you'll be able to love them, and you'll have a great life. It doesn't work like that. Here's how it works. Is that you have got to be the one that takes the first step. It this means that you don't you don't line your kids up against the wall and just and start telling them off and tell them all the ways that they need to change and be lovable so that you can love them. It means you just start loving them. And at first they're they're gonna be suspicious and think you're up to something. <laughs> Your spouse is going to wonder, what happened to you? Are you having an affair? <laughs> why, are you, why have you changed? What are you doing? Why are you being like this? Why are you being nice to me? Why are you being friendly? Why are you caring about me more than you care about yourself? Listen to me. It'll radically change your life. When you start living out this three-word command, love one another, it means that you literally love people who are maybe not lovable and not worthy of your love. You could say, but pastor, I can't do that. Well, can I remind you that this is in fact the definition of what it means to be a Christian? Can I remind you that Jesus Christ, while we were still sinners, he came and loved us. He loved us before we loved him. Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he doesn't do and hasn't already done. So if you want to bring love back to your family, and you want to have a right relationship with your kids, and if you want your kids to have a right relationship with each other, and you want to have a right relationship with your spouse, then you got to start loving him. you got to start loving her. Regardless of what's gone on in the past. Because I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but you don't know how he's treated me. You don't know how she's, what she said. You don't know the words she's spoken to me. You don't know the things that my kids have done. You don't know how they've hurt me. You don't know how, what kind of pain they've caused me. Listen, you think for a moment of what Jesus has forgiven you. You think of how God loves you in spite of who you are and what you've done. And you're going to begin to sing a different song. Now you'll be able to love that one who's so unlovable and unworthy of your love. This is what true Christianity is. I can tell I can tell how mature a person is by this one simple measurement. I can tell you whether he's mature or immature. I can tell you if he's grown in his faith or if he's still at the same place. And many people are. The one measurement that tells me about your maturity, the condition of your marriage, the condition of your family, is this is how much love is there in your family. How much love is there in your heart for your spouse? How much do you love the people around you? That, my friends, is the measurement of maturity. Because here's the thing. You can talk about how you do everything right, and you are you are flawless in executing your responsibilities as a husband or as a wife or as whatever. But Jesus makes it clear that without love, it's all meaningless. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says? We read this in all our weddings, First Corinthians 13. You can climb tall mountains, and you can, you can feed the poor, and you can do all kinds of things, but without love, it's nothing. It's like a, like, a, like a clanging cymbal. I mean, once or twice, you don't mind it, but the ongoing clanging of that cymbal, and you want to like, slay me, I can't take it anymore. And this is the picture that Paul's drawing for us. You're called to love one another. To do whatever it takes to demonstrate love to the people in your life. This is how we try to live our lives. Yesterday, the ladies, over 60 ladies here, they did a special seminar uh, on the five love languages. Fantastic. Glory got home yesterday from the ladies' meeting. She immediately made me take the, the, the test. No, she didn't make me take it. I wanted to take it. You're going to take this test, or else. It wasn't that. We sat down and figured out what my love languages are. And interestingly, um, by the way, thank you, Pam, for putting that on. Uh, the three, my three. But here, let me just read the five love languages, and I'll explain to you in a moment, in my, in my limited sort of way. Words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service that is doing something meaningful for 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 me, uh, receiving gifts and physical touch. Now, I, I did a little test, and I've discovered that for me, what I like best is quality time. This is this is what best blesses me, makes me happy. It's the best way to love me, is spend quality time with me. Secondly, words of affirmation, and then acts of service, do something nice for me. Glory is a little different. Now, I'm not gonna share her her points because that's her business. She wants you wanna ask her, you can. <laughs> but let me say this to you. This is this is fantastic. And I don't know I don't know how scientific it all is, but here's what I do know. Is that the minute you dedicate yourself or devote yourself to trying to figure out how best to minister to the needs of the people in your life, how best to love the people in your life? It's a game changer. You will absolutely change your life, change your family, change your marriage. So I want to share with you. I'm not going to get into that because that's a topic for another day, the, the love languages. But I, I love the idea of trying to figure out how best to love the people in my life. And so we've got Nicholas to do it. we got Sarah to do it. I don't know if Jesse's done it yet. But man, it's really, it's really amazing to find out what my kids need, what my wife needs. Now, here, here's, what here's what you need to do if you want to practice love in your family. you ready for this? I'm going to give you four words. And these four words, if you practice them, will radically change your family life, will radically change your marriage, will radically change, in fact, all your relationships. In fact, I believe it could even affect this church. Four words, that if you do these things, your life will change. You will, if you, if you are, if you are lonely at work, or lonely at school, do these four things and watch things change for you. Ready? Here they go. Very simple, very easy to remember. The first thing, and by the way, these are very simple, and you might, you might think it's so simple that it's not even worth writing down or remembering, but I'm going to tell you it's critical. First, this is what you need to do, is you actually need to speak to the people in your life. Not terribly profound, is it? But guess what? If you go look at the statistics to find out how much time a father will speak to his children, how much time a father or mother will spend with their children, we're talking not hours in a day, we're talking minutes. It's absolutely shocking. And I'm not talking about silly talk, I'm talking about real talk. Real talk. I like that, that, that scene in Fiddler on the Roof where all the men are gathered around and, and the, 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 the most learned man in the, in the town comes to the group of men who are sitting there gossiping. Uh, and men can gossip more than women. Everybody knows that. And this guy comes along and he says he wants to share some information, wants to share some news. And rather than getting to the point, he's just blabbing on about all kinds of nothing and finally one of the guys says that is not that is not talking that's babbling talk to us speak to us what is he saying he's saying tell us what's important speak to me what's in your heart speak to me what, what what's in your mind tell me what you're thinking tell me how you're feeling when's the last time you did that when's the last time you told your spouse how you really feel i don't mean in a fit of anger because i mean nobody wants to listen to that but i mean when you're calm when you're cool, when you're collective, when's the last time you poured out your heart to your spouse and told him or her your hurts, your feelings, your thoughts? In this instruction to speak to each other, can I just say this? You've got to be careful that when you do speak, you, you do not speak sarcastically to each other. Sarcasm is not allowed in our home. We do not put each other down. It's not permitted. Sarcasm, as far as I'm concerned, is the attempt of a weak mind to try to be funny. It's the cheapest, worst kind of humor. It's not, even, it's not even humor, as far as I'm concerned. Cut the sarcasm out. Don't you dare be sarcastic to your children. And don't be sarcastic to your to your spouse. Sarcasm has no part in the mouth of a believer. And can I just say this? Also, when it comes to speaking... That means no silent treatment. Because you're going to be so mad at him, you're going to be so mad at her, you're going to be so mad at them that you don't even talk to them. I'm going to tell you this. As far as I'm concerned, giving somebody the silent treatment is equivalent to witchcraft. It's evil. It's pure, pure evil. Because you're now trying to manipulate and control that person in your life. You want to know why families are not safe places and why families are not places people want to be? Because there's sarcasm, because there is silent treatment, and because people don't really communicate. So here's what you need to do. If, you, if you're one of those people that uses silent treatment to, to punish your family, I'm going to tell you right now, you're the worst one in your family. You better quit right now. If you're being sarcastic, well, you're right up there with the silent treatment. You need to cut that out and it needs to be cut out immediately. And you need to start speaking. It's so easy to get on the computer, so easy to turn on the TV, so easy to open the newspaper, magazine, a book, and just ignore the people in your life. You want to have a great family? Start speaking to each other. The other thing you need to do is you need to listen. Now, I just want to remind everybody, you've got two ears and one mouth. So that suggests to me that you should probably listen twice as much as you speak. Listen. Try to hear the heartbeat of your child, of your spouse. Because if he's heard or she's heard or they're heard, there's a good chance that they're not going to want to talk. They're going to want to hold it in. Because they don't even know how to begin. So here's what you need to do. And this is extremely difficult. Stop lecturing just shut up and listen. Sit down beside him, her, them, and just wait. Let it begin to roll out. And I'm going to tell you, it will. My time is almost away. I've got to share with you two other things really quickly. You need to speak. You need to listen. You need to give. You need to give your time. A little boy said to his dad, Dad, how much do you get paid an hour? He said, son, I get paid $30 an hour. Well, Dad, I've got $15 in my bank account. Could you spend half an hour with me? That's pretty pathetic, isn't it? You need to give, you need to give and give. You need to give your time. You need to give little gifts to your family members. You need, to, you need to splurge a little bit. Stop being so stingy. You need to give words of encouragement. You need to give a pat on the back. You need to give a hug. And then you need to forgive. You need to give, and then you need to forgive. If somebody has let you down, your spouse has let you go. Let, let, let them out of the let them out of jail. Give them the out of, get out of jail card. Let them get out. Forgive them, embrace them, and let it go. Let it let it be done. And I'm going to tell you. I know some of your family situations, some of your marriages, like it's in serious trouble. And you say, "Man, Pastor, I don't even know where to begin." Well, here's where you need to begin. You just need to start loving. Through speaking, kind words, loving words, no sarcasm, kind, loving words, a word of encouragement. You need to start listening. Give them opportunity to share with you how they feel. How many parents? This parent says to the child, Tommy, what's wrong? Why are you like this? What's what's going on? Why are you so mad? Why are you cutting yourself? Why are you... And the kid finally said, well, it's because you don't care about me. What do you mean I don't care about you? And start bashing the kid, and then the kid goes back into his shell again. You need to speak words of encouragement. You need to listen. You need to give a hug. And you need to forgive. That's what love looks like. That's what love is Practically. Now, you go do that and watch your family turn around. You go do that and watch your marriage turn around. It's going to take some work. It's not going to come easy because you're stuck in your old habits of selfishness and ignorance, and now it's time to change that. And I'm going to tell you this. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Is that you have the Holy Spirit who enables you. The Holy Spirit will help you live out this life of love. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, thank you this morning for the teaching, thank you for the instruction that teaches us how to get this life right. Lord, we don't have a lot of commands. We don't. We never got an instruction manual when we got married. Most of us never got an instruction manual when we had kids. But we do have Your Word, which tells us very simply to love one another. God, we pray, forgive us. For our stupid living. As Solomon has told us, the one who abuses his family, the one who exploits his family, has a fistful of air. He's got nothing. And some of us today, we've got nothing. We haven't got what you want for us, Lord. You want us to know the fulfillment that comes from marriage, the fulfillment that comes from a family. That's loving. Give us the grace, we pray, to begin to live live this way. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said it. Amen. Amen. Tell the person beside you, go love your family.